You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 52, Put On the New Self. Well, today's episode title is taken from Ephesians 4.24, just one of the spots where Paul talks about our identity in Christ and using the imagery of clothing. And when we teach and invest in students, uh, often we try to help them look forward to see how they can uh, be setting themselves up for Uh, moving forward and growing up in a life of having that identity in Christ. But often uh, the steps that they're taking in school right now in their adolescence, uh, it's hard to get that started and they need some examples. They need to be uh, encouraged. They need to be affirmed that mistakes will happen. Um, And what does it look like practically? Because especially when they're graduating, Parents want to make sure they have a good, solid plan for school and a career and things like that. And uh, simply going out and just seeing where God is at work and how he's going to lead uh, isn't always uh, the most practical uh, option, at least for parents and maybe even for the students. So how can we have a life of uh, looking for what God has for us, but also having sensible goals making our identity in Christ. Well, our guest today will help me talk about that from her own story. Uh, Her name is Allie Gentry. Allie is out in Phoenix, uh, my hometown, and we talk about uh, what it means for those students to claim that and as youth workers, how to really help invest in them and give them a holistic, well-rounded perspective. So let's go ahead and hop into this conversation with Allie. Allie, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. I'm so excited to be um, just with Youth Ministry Maverick. I'm honored to be asked to be a part of it. I am in Phoenix, Arizona, and I work at our... Yeah, right? (laughs) Right? A fellow Phoenician. The uh, motherland. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The motherland. Although I'm from Texas, so we did a flip-flop around. We did. That's right. (laughs) Somewhere along the way. Um, But I am full-time at our church, Renovation Church here in Phoenix. I lead our women, and I also get to do teaching and I get to speak to youth uh, here in the city. I've gotten to go other places. God's been great with that. So I'm excited to speak to that age group because I used to be a varsity coach. So I love what you're doing. It's so critical and important. I'm honored to get to be a part of it. I also run an event that's once a month called Arise and it's here in Phoenix, but now we broadcast live so people can watch anywhere. It's the third Tuesday of each month and it's just for women to get together, worship, get a word, pray together and uplift what God's doing in our city, just in other churches and just unity above all else is really what we're going for. So it's exciting. God's doing a lot and I'm I'm just along for the journey, along for the ride. Half the time, I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, it makes it more fun. So, Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. And don't worry, I'm pretty sure everyone half the time doesn't know what they're doing. I feel like we need to say that more often. So mm-hmm. we yes. We, we need more self-deprecation, more humility. Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm, I'm jealous that you get to see mountains and the horizon and have good Mexican food. Um, but yes, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and today we're talking about identity. Uh, in several of his letters, Paul described the practical living of our new identity in Christ by using the imagery of putting on new clothes. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, the title of this episode is taken from Ephesians 4.24, which is toward the end of a portion on walking in the manner to which we have been called. We are to recognize the grace given to us as Christ's gift, uh, which is best seen in our spiritual gifts. Uh, but that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So let's go back to that concept of identity. I know when we were talking about this episode, that was a theme that came up a lot. And I think that resonates um, with everyone who's listening because obviously in adolescence, the issue is. Who am I? What is my identity? Uh, and as youth workers, we need to foster relationships that emphasize our true identity, which is in Christ. Uh, so, Ali, can you share a little bit about what you gravitated toward for the shaping of your own identity going through and coming out of high school and what happened along the way? Yeah, this is a huge one, I think, because at that age, we are asking the question, who am I? What am I going to be? What am I going to do when I quote unquote grow up? And um, this is so hard. So we're, we're faced with this and we're trying to figure out even our own personality, what, what maybe what God has for us, if we are in the church at that point. Um, and I had no idea. And I also was a pastor's kid. So you do have to take that into consideration as well. I grew up in the church. I knew all the right things. Um, I knew <laughs> every book of the Bible in order with the song. And I don't know if you ever did sword drills. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like sword drills is a foundational piece of old school SBC. So yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So like, you know, for anyone who doesn't know what a sword drill is, your teacher will tell you to go find a book and a verse. And it's the first person who finds it the quickest you win the sword drill. I loved that. I was always, I knew where everything was. I knew the right things to say. However, um, it was conflicting with what I was perceiving when I was going through high school and going through just being in the world. I played club volleyball. I was exposed to other things and I was just confused at where my, where I fall into it. Mm-hmm. And so I would look to everyone else and look to the labels that other people put on me and tried to lean into those things because I was like, well, this is what others see in me. So then that's probably true. So I'm going to lean into that, whether that's sports, I played volleyball, basketball, softball, eventually just volleyball. So I was the athlete, like that was a, a label that I took on myself, or it was a, um, the pastor's kid label, or eventually I had, I was in a relationship. So I took that label on and I was his girlfriend <laughs> and we were mm -hmm. inseparable. So I was looking to other people and looking other places to idea, like to really work through, um, whatever the people thought of me. So the struggle with that is, um, that it didn't really put much reflection in on me and who God had told me to be and created me to be personally. So once I was in high school and I was struggling in that, what I did too much was lean into other people. And I really, I feel like I fell off a little bit because I needed to know what other people thought of me all the time. 
Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> because it was like, I, it's almost like I was, I was needing the people pleasing. I was needing to hear what they were wanting, what they were needing from me so that I could fit the mold in which they expected of me. Mm-hmm. The problem in doing that is that not that we can't do those things around people and serve people well and how we need to. But the problem with that is that I lost myself in what the world was telling me I needed to be. Hmm. instead of leaning into the truth of what I felt like God had told me to be. So high school was really hard for me. Honestly, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. Um, It took me about four, maybe five years for me to even open up my yearbook after I graduated. Wow. Wow. I did not even want to think about high school. I'm like, no, you can pay me enough to go back and relive exactly. If I had to relive exactly, I was like, no, thanks. And but what happened was, is I had to start working through why that was and what was happening during that time period, instead of just putting that on a shelf and forgetting about it. And I ate lunch alone often in the locker room in my locker. I would just sit there and eat lunch alone because I, I was so confused and it felt like the only time I could fully be myself was when I was by myself hmm. because I wasn't trying to meet all these expectations. And I feel like that's also why loneliness is so huge right now is because we're trying to be everything. And we have all these um, communities and different people we're trying to be everything for. But then when we're alone, we're like, wait, who am I? (laughs) Right. Like, and then, so we keep grasping. And what happened to me was I grasped to the relationship I was in. Actually, we were together for four years really into, into college actually. And because I was so wanting to know what I was going to do with my future, I made all my plans with that person because he had an idea of what the future should be. Go to certain college. I would stay here, real estate agent. Like, uh, we would move to Oregon, have three kids. Like I, and I was just like, okay, Sure. Because I didn't know who I was. I was looking to someone else to tell me what I was supposed to do and who I was supposed to be. Mm. And I'm not saying that all high school relationships are even bad, but what really the basis of it was I was leaning into other people and him to, to identify me, to put, to help me because I couldn't even see another future of what God could be calling me to. And I honestly think that in part, I was probably running from it a little bit um, because I, I felt like I was called to, to ministry when I was in seventh, it was about seventh grade. I had a dream and I felt like, okay, this is, I'm called to ministry. What do I do with this? And it was just a whirlwind, but I didn't have clarity on what it looked like. And so I felt like I was dabbling into everything, trying to find my niche trying to find the thing. And what it led me into was really bad relationships, um, broken heart, broken dreams into college, not knowing where I'm heading. All of my eggs were put in the, like, literally I thought I was going to marry this guy and we didn't in God's goodness. <laughs> we did not And I actually went down a path of partying, drinking, all of those things because to a point of being suicidal, because really when I got down to it about why I was even suicidal, why I was running is because I literally did not know who I was. I didn't believe that God had a plan for me and I didn't know what to do with my life. I was lost. And so that's kind of 
the journey I had, I, I felt lost of my day. And I didn't know for so many years that it took me until my mid twenties, God say 23, 24, that I started to move in the direction and actually replace those old thoughts with actual truth of who God says that I am in scripture and then let him show me what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I never grasped that earlier. And I so wish I did. So I have a passion to help people understand who they are now, because what you're going to do, as my dad often says, like what you're going to do is it it changes often, um, but who you're going to be now that can, that can be centered and God grows that, but that is, uh, it's critical to know who you're going to, who you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And I, you know, just uh, hearing that, I'm sure when everyone hears someone talk about their childhood, junior high, high school, anything, they think back to, well, how did I live? How did I appreciate? How did I dread those years myself? And, you know, I think now looking back, we can all realize that everyone we saw at in school at whatever age, and we're like, I have no idea what they're thinking or what's going on. I just see them in class or I see them at recess off doing that. And later you know, in life, like now, when you hear everyone talking about, here's what I was going through, you realize just how much complexity and thought and trauma and confusion was going on in those hallways. And um, which speaking of hallways, a Phoenix joke that I make to my friends is like, when I see schools or in movies and TV shows, when I see schools with like the checkered hallway and lockers, that wasn't my experience because Maybe it's a little different now, but growing up, all the schools in Phoenix are outdoors. You go from one building to another. There's not really any indoors. I know. In schools, it's bizarre because, you know, it makes sense in super hot Phoenix to always go outside. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, thinking about sitting at your locker or because for me, um, a lot of those feelings that you described in high school, that was me in junior high. Junior high, the only highlight um, was being at church and being with my friends and that's that's all I wanted to do. Like going to school was I dreaded it so much because yeah, junior high usually isn't fun for many people. But you know, for high school, um to have that in high school and to latch on to uh in in your story, you know, to have a guy who you're with and you're like, okay, well, there's a plan and so I'm gonna follow him out of high school and this plan is good and maybe in some ways, like it'll save me from this dread and feeling that I have now that I'm going through. And then for that to kind of come crumbling down. Um, yeah, that, that is hard. And, and I feel like those hard reset moments, um, it's never what you wish for anyone, but if it's what they need, then you're glad that they can go through it. Hopefully with people around them who are believers who can encourage them and be there for them. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing uh, sharing that story and um, identity for adolescents, for students. That's something that we always have to look out for. And when we look out for students who are going through those things, I also feel like uh, as youth workers or just as adults, people who want to help students, uh, when we give advice, uh, sometimes it's kind of based on when I was your age, here's what was best for me. But it's hard for us to place ourselves in, in their shoes. And I think one example of that is 
technology, right? So primarily because of how technology has widened our world, um, sociologists have been predicting an upward trend in the number of jobs and careers in these younger generations of Gen Z and Generation Alpha. Um, they have only grown up with technology, right? Um, which is so. When I graduated high school, so my my junior and senior year, I had a handful of friends who had like 60 or 90 texts a month on their plan or whatever. And that was like, that was it, right? There wasn't even MySpace until I was in college. And so I'm really glad I grew up with a majority of that. Like, like it wasn't really present in there. Um, but for these students, it is. Uh, even from the time they're, they're one and two, uh, our babysitters are iPads, you know? And so uh, the main direction that we push students toward is going to a good college, majoring in a field they want to pursue, preferably for life, right? We see that still as the foundational, this is the place that you need to land. And I don't think that's bad advice, as you were saying, but you know, I do think that we should encourage being faithful to God's call on your life first and foremost. And that's frightening for youth workers maybe, but also parents because it doesn't present the practical goals that they have for their kids but that's because we paint them as mutually exclusive and they're not. Um, and so, Ali, how has that process of you post high school and you putting on, as Paul says, your identity in Christ help you be grounded, but also start looking for and actively pursuing what God had and still has for you? Well, it definitely took a little while, but I would say <laughs> it took a long time. And, you know, we're still learning this, how to do this, right? Um, but putting off our old self and our old mind. And when I, when I think of that, too, is that we have to retrain what we think about and how we think of ourselves and what we look at and how we look at it. Because what we put into our minds, what we put into our heart, it will come out of us. The mm-hmm. out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And yeah. I also think out of out of the overflow of what we put into our and into our minds, we will have those thoughts about ourselves. So kind of a little backtracking and then moving forward into that, what these kids are going through and students are going through now with technology in front of them in a way that we didn't have to go through. I had a little bit in in my day, but not, not a lot. And, um, we can't totally tell, we can't completely speak into it because we didn't grow up with it. But what I do see, even with myself on social media and all these things, we are bombarded with what people, what the world is telling us we should be, what we should look like, what we should wear, how we should act, what we should believe in, what we shouldn't believe in. And so now these students are being hit in a whole new wave. And and I think we need to give them credit for that in a way of saying, hey, like this is a whole new level. And we see that we are going to do our best to help you navigate because we didn't have to do it this way. And when we think about our experience, it was tough, but to have to have all of this bombardment. So it's, it's putting off. Sometimes it might take, when we're talking about putting off the old self, if we're really wanting to focus in, I believe on what God is speaking into our lives, who are we following on social media? Who do we not need to follow? The unfollow button will set you free 
Hmm. in so many ways. And then I get it. Cause sometimes like, I don't want to unfollow cause I'm going to hurt their feelings. It's like, at the same time, you have to, <laughs> what are you thinking when it happens? What are the feelings you're having? Are you thinking less of yourself? What are those thoughts that the people you're hanging out with in person? How many, how, are you going and being with the crew at youth group? That stuff will build up your identity. That stuff will build up your confidence because it's done in Christ. So it is that putting off of the things that are not building you up and realizing that the world does not get to dictate who you are. It doesn't because we live in a society now that's like, okay, you're in this quarter. You're labeled this way. You're labeled this way. Everybody go on their sides. Yep. And then just hurl rocks at each other. Yep. And, and it's like, and we do that even within the church, you know, and, and, and it's instead of understanding the beauty of the complexity and, and the differences that God has made us in, we're actually pulling ourselves into our own little silos because we're so desperate to figure out our identity. And so it's putting off the ways of the world and and the ways that they're thinking and then putting on the truth of Christ. So for me, it is being in the word. And I, you know, it's so interesting because sometimes it's hard. I I don't shy away from it, but people can hear that and be like, okay, well, that's legalism. Of course, you'd say go to the Bible. Well, it's the way that he speaks to us. Like, do you want to know the matter of fact things that he says that you are saved by grace? You, you have new mercies every morning. Um, you have a plan for your life prepared in advance, as it says in Ephesians 2.10 for you. Mm-hmm. So when we start thinking, okay, he, he knit me together in my mother's womb. Like, I love thinking of that because there was a period of time before your mom even knew that you were in her womb, that only God himself knew that you were on the way. He loves you that he cares for you. He's known every single thing. So when we look at those, those moments and we're like, he is with me always. And we start to speak truths. I would even challenge some people who struggle with identity is to actually read like a mantra in the morning. Like I am like, I am the daughter of the king. I am the son, whatever that might be. I am chosen. I am a royal. I'm a part of the Royal priesthood. I am fearfully and wonderfully made saying these things and looking at yourself, not about building. Oh, wow. I'm so fearfully and wonderfully. (laughs) (laughs) But in the process of being like, no, like he, like God picked me this time of eternity, this, in this moment, he chose me to be born into this family, to be born into this community, to be born. And now I'm in this church and this is my story. This is my personality that he chose in advance for me instead of pushing back and being so why God did you make me this way? In a, in a frustration and saying like, why God show me why? And the best way, show me why you put me in this family, even though it's extremely difficult. Show me why I'm in this school, even though I don't want to be here and I would never go back if you pay me a million dollars. Like what, what are these experiences that in this moment, instead of letting all of those things identify me and put identity on me, how can you build up that confidence of who I know you've created me to be, to be everything in those situations that you've placed me in? So then no matter where you are, you're the same person, no matter if you're with your family, with your friends, at school, at youth group, or once you move into college, you're still that person. God's growing you, of course, but you have that understanding and belief that I am here for a purpose and a reason in this generation 
what is it that God has for me? So mm-hmm. I had to retrain my brain, know the truths that are in scripture and then speak them back. As it says, David had to encourage himself in the Lord, like just encourage yourself in the Lord to build up that confidence and remember that your identity is in him. First and foremost, you might get to be an athlete. You might get to be a musician, a husband, a wife one day, or whatever it might be. Those are great things. But if our full identity is placed in them, if we lose it, we will be rocked. Because yeah. think of my situation in high school. I lost it and I was rocked because my hopes and my dreams were with somebody that I was not even in like, I didn't even have a ring on my finger. And I'm like, all of my dreams were with this person instead of letting God orchestrate my dreams for me as we went. And so it was putting off what the world says I have to be and what I need to be, which is very hard. And I think we should acknowledge that (laughs) in the world we live in and putting on the truth of the word of God every day because it is what will get us through. Not because it's a legalistic, oh, you're being super churchy. I'm here to tell you I've tried literally everything else in this world to give me identity And I found myself on the verge of taking my life because everything else is futile. The only thing that we can stand firm on is the word of God and who he is. And, and that's, it's just everything. And so that's why it's so important to be in the word. I believe is to know the word because that'll set us free to live the life that God's called, called us to. So. Yes. Yeah. Well said Uh, that. Yeah. I, I think I think sometimes when people push back with the legalism response, uh, it's them wanting to maintain the status quo and not reflect and say, how am I prideful? How am I selfish? How am I, even though it's for a good cause or a holy cause, I'm still really in it for myself. And um, I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to reach out and depend on others. Um, Yeah. And being in the word, uh, it does humble us, but it's because we're we're in the presence of the Creator, and we can rejoice in what He does because He He looked at us when He made us and said, "It's very good." And um, He gave us dominion and rule, men and women uh, together over creation. And of course, we screwed that up. But um, <laughs> you know, as as I talked about uh, recently. Uh, over a weekend retreat with my students, as I mentioned to you uh, yesterday, uh, you know, we brought sin into the world, but God is sovereign over the suffering that results from that. And he uses that for our good and his glory. And the best thing for our good is depending on him. Because when we look at what's best for our good, we tend to want to define that good, right? And so when we're looking for identity, and as you brought up, you know, looking online and being bombarded with and only seeing all of this trimmed, filtered, perfect life of other people. And we say they achieved all that and they have all that. I want that for myself. I want that status. I want those likes. I want that clout. I want to feel good. I want others to make me feel good because that is when I've made it. And we're looking past what God has already given to us with the family that we have, even if it causes hurt or confusion or, okay, why have you placed me here? The school we're at, the church we're at, 
where we're at, you know, um, why couldn't I have lived 25 years ago when technology wasn't around? That might be what some young people are saying now. And I can echo that because I'm very glad that was me. But um, yeah, you know, we, we look to everything else for our identity, partly because we want to fill ourselves and, and feel good. But also, I think it's because we refuse to let go of control, right? We want to be able to control our own destiny and say, all right, God, just align things for me and allow me with my effort, with my intellect, with my gifts that you've given me, but let me just make sure it's me, 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 right? And it's all about me, me, me. And we don't think about your will, God, your kingdom, right? Let it be here as it is in heaven. And what does that mean? That means recognizing and giving glory to God always and seeking him wherever he is, you know? And I think there are examples that you and I have seen. I'm glad you brought up uh, the problems in the church of separating into our own corners. And I even think it gets to the point where theology, a denomination, and those things can be an idol. And those can be our identity. We look to those as, well, this creed, this is just me. And we look to try and place ourselves in a box and say, this is me. Anything outside of that, I don't want that to be me. Instead of looking at, I like to tell my students, like a horse with blinders. We, that's how we look at everything. We take those off and see where God is at work around us and who he's placed in our lives and see all those kids in those hallways or on the field and in school and think, okay. Because if you ask God for patience, he's going to give you plenty of opportunity to be patient, right? And so if we ask God for opportunities, they are provided for us. But for us to take those, we have to step out in faith and trust him that he's going to show up in those. And when we fall flat on our face, um, to have, as Ecclesiastes says, have people around us to help us up and walk with us and uh, keep leading us toward what we know God has for us. And that dependence thing, you know, especially as Americans, as postmodern, everything should be about me. And if you're not for me, then you're against me. Um, depending on others is seen as a weakness and as less than, and why would you ever want to do that? But it's how we were created, right? Um, who were, who were some people in your life, Allie, who kind of, um, were there, um, with you and for you when you were like, okay, I need to find out what it's like to have my identity in Christ and this thing with volleyball as a career, maybe, and following this guy didn't work out. Who are some people in your life that came around to help encourage you? My dad. I know that I, I was, he's actually the lead pastor at our church as well. So, but I truly say my dad, my parents were huge for me staying in church because of their consistency in my life. So just a tidbit on that. It matters as youth leaders and as parents to stay consistent and coming and showing up Yeah, because even when I didn't want to do it and I, I wanted to actually leave the church because I was like, I don't, nobody around here is real. I'm out. I can't talk to anyone about my struggles. No way. My parents were still there. They were still available. They were consistent. And over time, I will say that that's the one reason why I still stayed in church because I still showed up because they, I wanted to respect them. I wanted to honor them, even though I didn't want to be there. I tell people I left, 
I didn't, I was at church, but I left church, you know, mm. it was like, I was there every Sunday, but I wasn't like there every Sunday. Yeah. But, um, it was them that they helped me with that because they saw me through all of it. And to know that they still loved me, they still believed in me. They were still for me. It was, um, just, just eye opening once I really gave my life fully to the Lord that they see something in me that I didn't see. And so I think that's huge. And I've had mentors along the way. I think it's really important to have a mentor in your life. Um, no matter your age, I'm throwing that out there. I actually right. have yep. you know, two where it's like, okay, one that's more like life stuff. And then other ones for me, like vocation. So it's like your job. It, it helps to have people who know what you do, but also just in life. And then to also be pouring into someone that's behind you. So even if you're in youth ministry to, to pour into kids that are younger than you or like doing that helps not only them feel like they have someone that believes in them, but you realize that you have something to offer you. God can use your story, your life, all of those things to actually impact someone else's life. And that's the key. And that's what we talk about all the time at our church. And it's just about influence. And when you realize that you have influence, that your life really does matter and it can change not only the course of yours, but like everyone, people around you, it, it, it changed everything for me. Once I really gave my life to the Lord, I started, that's when I started coaching volleyball. When I realized that it mattered what I did, even when those girls didn't see me, my, all of those decisions I made mattered because they were looking up to me, it became a, it's, it's a game changer. So it's so important for all of us to know that what we, how we are and how we act, it matters. And so I didn't know that until later on. And actually my dad was doing this thing on spiritual gifts at the time. And, um, I had never taken the spiritual gifts test. Not that you have to do the test. You can read scripture, you know, people go, <laughs> but I took the test and I realized that one, I had discernment at the top, like wisdom, prophetic, like that type of stuff. And I'm like, what does this even mean? And then I started to dive into discernment because at the time it was the top of it. And I realized I'm very aware of how things happen in the spiritual realm. I'm like, kind of like, okay, this is off. This is good. This works. This does not work. And I was so confused how I just like kind of knew it. And I didn't realize, oh, it's a gift. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit has gifted me with. And beforehand, I was always frustrated because I'm like, why do I always like feel everything? Um, And so I believe that the enemy, if we don't know who we are, (laughs) the enemy can use those things and try and distort them and make us like wish we weren't that way. But actually... God has gifted us with these things for his glory and for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so my dad, by doing that, and even like setting that example, pouring into me, and then also for that type of discovery of who God, what he has given me, changed everything. Because then I'm like, okay, this is a part of my, this is a part of how he, he wired me. And now how do I use that for the kingdom? So again, it comes back to who am I? We need to be asking God, who are we before we say, what do you want me to do? Because it's, again, it goes back to that question. And so that was pivotal for me in my change of 
putting on my new self, if you will, and learning who I am in Christ. It was, it was honestly pivotal and why I love doing those things with people now, spiritual gifts, Enneagram, love languages. I'm like, whatever you want me to sit here and talk to you about, let's do all the tests and let's work through it because then you get to see how uniquely you've been made and your story. And then you realize that, okay, God has a purpose for me in this generation. Then how you were saying grounded, so that grounds you. And then you actively can pursue what God has for you in that moment because knowing who you are grounds you. So then it makes it easier to actually choose what you are going to do. And actually, I think it gives you eyesight and, and, and focus because Mm -hmm. if you don't know who you are, you're looking to everything around you to try and figure out what do I want to do that will define me. Right. But it's who we are. So I I just say my parents above all of it, but I have had mentors, which I really believe are critical because I, um, I couldn't stress that enough (laughs) to, to be in that and to also be pouring into others, no matter your age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, great commission and making disciples does not have an age limit. And, um, you know, we think about, okay, what does it mean to make disciples? And every church pretty much has to ask that question because they have to decide how they're going to gear their programming content vision for where their church is and what God has for them and all of that. But, you know, mentoring and really just the process of sanctification of becoming more and more transforming more and more to likeness of Jesus Christ as we follow him. You know, we, we need that. And, uh, and our, our mutual friend, Courtney, who I've had in the podcast is really big into discipling and, and mentoring. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you also that, uh, you know, if I could have had 15 or 20 guys, uh, as groomsmen, I would have, because I have so many people that I see, God placed in my life at different seasons along the way who just were vital and really steered me toward who I was in Christ and what God had for me. And, um, you know, I can call just about any of them up like right now and we can just pick up where we left off. And to have that um, is something that I do not take for granted because I know people in the church don't always have that experience and it's scary to find a mentor and it's scary to reach out and find someone. But when you have people uh, who as youth workers, we should be looking for those students. Um, And, you know, if a student shows up every Sunday morning or Wednesday night to mission trips or camps, whatever, from seventh to 12th grade, hours wise, they're only with you like six, maybe six and a half months in those six years. That is not a lot of time. They need people outside of those program times to be able to walk with them, to see them for who they are, where they don't have to wear a mask and pretend like everything's all good. Uh, Where if you just look look at them in the eyes, you would see they're not all good. And for them to wrestle with doubt and ask hard questions and for us not to fill that blank with our own answers and wisdom. But most of the time, just say, I hear you. That That's hard, right? To listen, right? And I loved how you talked about being present with people and, and what people remember because the most um, memories and, and the biggest thing that our students as young people will remember is who was with us 
and that they cared about us, right? We won't remember most of the words or most of the games or camps. It's this person cared about me. Um, they had a job, they had something else, but they took time out to invest in me. And the older we get and look back at that, the more we'll be grateful for that. And hopefully that reminds us that there are young people who were like me who need people. And, um, you know, uh, the creator, I think his name is Brad Montague. He's the guy who created Kid President um, on YouTube and some other things. He spoke at the National Youth Workers Convention several years ago. And one thing he said just resonated, and I've seen it in other places since then. It's be who you needed when you were younger. Be that person. And that is so powerful because it gives us such perspective and it humbles us (laughs) to realize, wow, okay, God did this for me. And for me to try and step up and say, I can be this person, it's not good. It's going to take more than my own effort and willpower. It's going to take dependence and faith that God will use me through his spirit, through what he's gifted me with, not just for me, but he gives us gifts for the blessing of the church at large to be able to point people to him. So I need to be there for those people. And that's probably why most of you listening who are youth workers are doing what you're doing. And you don't know all of the big seminary words and all these big things, but you're faithful. And that is a step ahead of where even, unfortunately, many Christian leaders are because you're actually trying to be faithful and see what God has for you instead of trying to capitalize on your status as some Christians sadly do. And it starts with having faith and stepping out in dependence. And I think, Allie, that's what you've been highlighting. I think that's what we need to highlight as youth workers for our students is questions are okay. God can handle questions. God can handle doubt. God can handle your anger and confusion and frustration. And he's got to be faithful because he was faithful to us first. And who do you have around you to help point you toward the joy that we have? Um, that, that abundant life that Christ talked about, who is around you to help you see that. And um, yeah, that's really good. So taking your own story into account and our discussion so far, Allie, what are some things you think youth workers who are listening should take note of as they minister and invest in students? One thing that I think is absolutely critical, you just started to hit on this, be authentic. Yeah. Be authentic. If you do not know the words, if you don't know all the things, it's okay. Just be real with them because they know when you're not. That's right. They know when you're not. And so, I mean, I just was thinking of like high school and youth for me. I actually have failed to mention my dad was actually my youth pastor when I was younger. And then he's now the lead pastor. So that's also why, like, when I think of my mentors, I think of my dad too, because he was also my youth pastor. Mm -hmm. He was an awesome youth pastor. It was so much fun. It was great, great, you know? Um, But when it came down to even certain um, small groups and stuff, and like I had the the women, and actually a lot of couples were over our different groups. um, I never felt like I could be honest either. So first of all, I... I I felt like they were authentic because a lot of them connected. So I I say, first of all, be authentic, be real in all situations. If you don't know, you don't know if you're like, I obviously 
if you're a youth worker, you do need to have that sense of leadership as well. So it's not like if you're just had a horrible day, you just go cry to your students. Right, right. But it's just being honest with your story because your story matters. Your story is powerful because God can redeem your story, what you've gone through. But how you were just saying, a lot of times the stuff we've gone through, like be who you didn't have when you were that age. And a lot of times be who you did have and it mattered hugely. So some people had amazing mentors and they're like, I want to be that. I think that's kind of, I might be speaking for you. No, but that's right. That's yeah. Your story where it's mm-hmm. like, this, this meant everything to me. And now I feel called to be that too. I feel the same way. I didn't have that space where I could be authentic, where I could be vulnerable, where I could be real in that area, especially being a pastor's kid. But I just think it's just in general. And so now I feel like God has called me to create spaces where people are just like, here it is. Now, what do we do with it? Where are we going? And how can God redeem this? Because you were saying God uses all things for our good and his glory, but we've got to give it back over to him. Like we, like we just have to say here, use it, (laughs) use the mess that I've had. And he does that by, I mean, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So share those parts of your story. Let the Lord redeem them in those places, be authentic, be real and use it. So be authentic. I would say, um, give the students space to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's that safe environment of being like, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're thinking, no matter if you're doubting, no matter if you're frustrated, no matter if you're like, I just read this in the Bible and it makes zero sense to me. Create that space to where they can say all of those things. Cause the best thing is when they are actually speaking it. And I would say to students, if you're feeling those things speak them out to your, your mentors because, and to your youth workers, because they will walk you through it. So I never spoke it out because I didn't feel like I had a a space, a space to do so outside of like, you know, in our small groups and the women that were around me and stuff, because I felt like I, I was ashamed of things or I was thinking things or, you know, relationship stuff. And I felt like I had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I had to have my Christian face on And if, instead of like being honest with my struggles and in my journey, so I like be authentic, give them the space to be honest, because if I think they know when they have the space. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do too. And and you're right. They, they pick up on, okay, you know, is this person being authentic and why are they here? You know, are they here? Cause I, I have students now and I've always had students to where if someone's there to speak and give the right answers and really show students what they should know those students pick up on that quickly and they're kind of like okay and you could be saying something deep and powerful but you know if they don't feel like you're there to help them along the way and for you not to just try and impress on them academic mental knowledge but to actually care about them because you want to see their heart change and then be able to grow and not just tell them what to think but tell them how to think um then they're going to pick up on that and you know some of the best youth leaders i've seen are in their 70s and 80s and they don't give a lick about being cool or anything else (laughs) that most young youth people think okay this is what i need to be they don't care and they love those guys because they're silly. They're just there and they care about those students. I think of a guy 
when I was helping out at a summer camp and uh, he, oh gosh, he, he was in his upper seventies at the time and it was 10 o'clock at night and we're in the dining hall doing this like Mr. Camp type thing. It was like this fashion show and he had shaving cream and all these things all over him. And he was like walking around for his guys. Like it was awesome. And there's like seventh grade guys, right? The rowdiest, most people think, oh, super immature, whatever else. Like they were loving it and they loved him. And um, what's your commitment? You know, who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? How are you humbling yourself and not saying, look at me, be like me? You know, imitate me as I imitate Christ as I try to humble myself because I, I can be like Christ. That's how we should be pointing exactly. to ourselves. And um, yeah, yeah so when you're real, they know they can be real. Yeah, that's right. So, and then when you're not acting like you have to be, and I think that's kind of the danger in youth ministry and in, in call like young adults is to try and be like them. Yes. Yes. So that, and I'm like, I think that that's, well, I'm not going to go into that, but also in parenting, I feel like you're not there to be their best friend. Exactly. You're not there to be your best, their best friend later on later on, hopefully they'll look back and want to be friends and want to have that connection, of course, or maybe in your, like now I can say growing up, my parents were not my best friends, but now they are so dear to me that they mean so much to me, but there's obviously still that parental space, Mm -hmm. but now there's a different level of relationship because we didn't have that when we were younger. But I remember my dad said this to me when I was coaching high school volleyball. And he told me this, he said, Allie, I always said in youth ministry, I don't care what they think of me at 16. I care what they'll think of me at 36. What they're going to think of when they look back at 36, how you cared for them, how you loved them, how you pushed them, how you spoke truth into their lives. Even in those moments when they're like, I don't want someone to speak truth. I think they really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you don't know it yet until 20 years down the road, they're like, wow, they loved me and loved me. Well, they weren't trying to be my best friend. They weren't trying to just be cool. We can be cool and do this stuff. I'm not saying we can't be cool. Uh, I hope so. I hope I'm cool sometimes, but like at the same time, that's not my goal. Like my goal is to be an example and, and to be real. Cause when they're, when we're real with them and we're honest with them and we speak truth to them, they see value. They realize they have value because you're pouring, pouring that into them. Yes. And like, they wouldn't even be doing this if they didn't believe that I had a purpose and I have value. Right. So maybe even if I don't feel it in those teen years, this person sees something in me and it gets us through. And that's the beauty of mentors. But there's also a knowing and taking that on for ourselves, right? So it is a two-part deal, but I love that. Be real because then they'll be real. Yeah, yeah. and. And what you mentioned earlier about, you know, I've used those exact words of getting on your own side and throwing rocks, you know, the whole, you're either for me or against me students. When they think of love, they think of it as if you're, if you love me, you're going to let me, you're going to encourage me to do what I want and what's comfortable. And when you look at first Corinthians 13 says, love is not insistent on its own way. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but delights in the truth. And, um, sometimes well, a lot of times, especially young teens, they need to really be told what they should be doing because of how it's not destructive and how they should be honoring their bodies and honoring Christ and making wise choices. And when they want to hear the truth, they want to hear, tell me what I want to hear. 
and they don't really want to hear the truth. But as you said, they really do want to hear the truth and they need to. They just most of the time won't like it. Um, And when you look back, you're like, oh, man, if I had done those things that I wanted to do, where the heck would I be now? And so, yeah, it's good for us to look back and recognize that. I believe that so much. I said they want truth. I really believe that in a world that like, you know, speak your truth. Yeah. I think you speak your emotions, speak your experience, speak your thoughts. Um, but there's truth. There's one truth. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to speak that in love always, but that doesn't always mean that it's like, Oh yeah, do whatever you, you want to do. And I actually think because the world is so you do you right now and, and this generation only Z, but alpha, I actually believe because there will be no one actually speaking truth to them. I think it's a prime time for the church finally to step back into the public square and say, guess what? We have a way when the world's trying to confuse you, when the world's saying there's all these other ways, we have a way, we have a truth. And, and the beautiful thing is, is that although truth sounds like bondage to the world, but Mm -hmm. actually what truth does, it leads us to freedom. And we, and I will say, once I gave my life fully over to Christ, and once I started believing his truth, I actually found more freedom than I ever did living in the ways of the world. It was so heavy, so so um, heartbreaking and painful. And, and there's so much bondage in it that the world's saying this is freedom. And in reality, when we give those things up, which people sound like, oh, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to have fun. Mm-hmm. It's actually like, no, he wants you to have life abundantly. He wants you to have so much um, joy in your day-to-day life. And every, no matter what situation you're in or your school that you're in or the family you're in, you can have joy and excitement in that and freedom to be in, and be around people instead of having that bondage on you. So I, I really believe that we're in the space as youth workers that we need to take it very seriously. And I believe the students are wanting that because they don't have it anywhere else. And, and, and it sounds harsh, but it's actually like we, if we do this, right, if we speak truth and love and love and truth, we're going to see a generation rise up and stand on their own and be an example to the world of like, we have a way because they're going to own it for themselves because we poured it into them and believe that they could. And that would be my last point back to the other thing. Be authentic, create that space, be real (laughs) so they can be real. So be authentic, give them the space to be honest and believe they can do it. Believe they can do it. And again, they know when you're faking it because I actually was thinking of this. I, I thought of like when I was growing up and I had this one, um, Sunday school teacher that, was then again on Wednesday night, my small group leader, cause they stayed with our same age. And, um, she, she was for so many people and it was authentic. Like she was very authentic, very real. Um, but I never believed, I don't, I didn't believe that she thought that I could like, I don't think that she believed in me. So it, it actually created this strain between us. Cause I'm like, I feel like you don't believe in me somehow. Like, I feel like you believe in everyone else. But so then I, I kind of, took a step back and I held that space. So then I was never actually able to be real with her because I actually didn't believe that she believed that I could. Mm. And it's very interesting because at a rise this next time, like coming up, it's so beautiful is that she's actually sharing at a rise and her and I have had a beautiful reconciliation of working through that and, and the, and the difference of what happened. And I, and she's like, yeah, you know, that's, 
that was part, I, I didn't realize it like that you could have perceived it that way. So it's not that she didn't, but it was my perception that she didn't. Right. Cause we're junior high and high school. So it's like, you've got to make them know it's above and beyond and know that you believe that they can do it no matter what they do in life. If they want to be a doctor, if they want to be, you know, whatever it is, some kids know what they want to be when they're young. Some people like me, I didn't know what I was actually supposed to be doing until I was 28. So, but all I knew at one point was like, I just got to keep moving forward in what God has for me. And to have people around me that believe that we can means everything to all of us because of the encouragement around us. We, that's what we have community for. That's why I believe the church is so important and to be there often um, is to know that people believe in us. So really it's that huge, Mm -hmm. whatever way you can find it is to speak into them. So they know that they have someone that believes in them. Yep. Absolutely. Believing in them. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Um, So man, Ali, this has been fun and enlightening. Thank you so much for hopping on here. Uh, You mentioned a little bit at the beginning, uh, but tell us where, we can keep up with you online and where we can connect with you in person. If people listening are in the Phoenix area. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram more than most, uh, other places. So if you want to find me, I'm usually over on Insta at Ali, A L I dot Gentry. So that's my handle. Um, so that's probably the best or at Arise, If you want to keep up with Arise, is at Arise MVMT as in movement that we're on Instagram, but my website, I have stuff, going on over there and speaking things. If you want to just tune in, that's the best way to see what's going on. Um, but I'm at renovation church on Sundays here in the Phoenix area or arise the third Tuesday of every month. So feel free to join. We would love that. And I'd love to just hear from you and, and get to know and, and serve the best way that I can. Yes. Awesome. And Allie's, uh, website, there's a link to that in the show notes. You can check that out. Um, Allie, I'll be praying for you as you uh, continue to live out what God's called you to do and uh, use your gifts for the benefit of others, um, especially as we think about who we needed when we were younger. So Allie, thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Allie for joining me. You will find a link to her website and her church in the show notes. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it. And be sure to follow us on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find those social media handles and more at our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There you will also find some guest bios, a comprehensive list of all of our episodes and show notes, some ministry partners to help you in your own ministry, an online store to support the podcast, published articles by me, and more. So be sure to visit our website for those things. Also, we really love when people give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Apple is the biggest podcast streamer, and it really helps boost our visibility when people give us a good review. So if you go there and give us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it before you hit submit, and send it to me. And as a thank you, I will send you a card with some merchandise that you can't buy on our online store. So be sure to do that. Well, that's all for now. So until next time, thanks again for listening. Adios.